and all our spooky friends in between, welcome to our Halloween-themed episode of Third Impact Anime. You don't usually hear me hosting these things, but you know who I am, and if you don't, I'm Tori, and tonight to talk about some creepy things, I am joined by Sully. Wouldn't the spooky version of non-binary be non-bias-scary? Ooh, that's good. I like that. I, just I mean, I would, say, I would say non-boonary, but that's just me. And I'm also joined by Austin. Hi, that's me. Feeling spooky. That's all you got? That's all I got. Okay, the, the pro-haunter, and that's all you got. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I am a, technically speaking, on paper, I am a professional haunter, but <laughs> that's 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 all you got for me right now. I'm, I'm spooked out. I'm done for the season. I'm, I'm retiring, with the exception of this podcast, of course. So on tonight's episode, we have chosen a few episodes of Yami Shibai and have tried to narrow down either the yokai or the urban legend that these episodes might be based on. Um, I think we found some pretty interesting things. I'm very excited to talk about it. Um, I'm sad that I don't have seven hours unedited to give you an episode on yokai, but I think this is a good start. And um, I've got plenty of resources that I can share in the notes to get you started. So before we get into all that fun stuff, I do have a few things to talk about. Mostly going to Anime Week in Atlanta this weekend. We will be there. We have a full list of panels we'll be doing over the weekend on our website at thirdimpactanime.com. Um, none of mine got accepted, so... Um, Sorry. <laughs> no justice, I tell you. <laughs> um, Which is so funny because aren't like a good 50% of your panels are spooky, so it, it's kind of <laughs> ironic, so isn't just it? <laughs> weird. It's so weird that, you know, this is the, to my knowledge, the first time AWA is taking place actually on Halloween weekend. So you, one would think that, you know, submitting some panels about spooky content would merit some acceptance, but... Oh, well. Sorry, Tori. <laughs> yeah. One would think, wouldn't they? One would think. Uh-huh. But, you know, the panels that we are going to be doing, we are, of course, very excited about. Sully, do you want to speak but, to your panels? Oh, yeah. I'm doing um, a lot, and I'm going to, to warn everyone listening that all of my panels are at, like, the worst possible times you could imagine. Like, they're either really, really late at night or very, very early in the morning. Um... <laughs> And I'm apparently also the one in the group doing the most panels, which is really weird because normally Tobias has me beat by a country mile. Um, so there's it, a lot of weird flipping of it, roles here. There's this a time dark around. energy radiating from Awa. Um, so yeah, I'm doing Onigai Gonagai at one a one a.m. on Saturday. <laughs> onigai Gonagai, please spare me. I'm tired. <laughs> um, and then I'm doing my Nintendo Outside Nintendo panel, which I had to remake. So um, as we record this, I have 
got a new gotten a new laptop because my old one which I bought used and was falling apart it finally just died and when I went to to take things off the hard drive it was just like the hard drive was just fried it was just gone it was it was dead um mm-hmm. so I had I have to remake my two-hour Nintendo panel because it was the only one I did not back up properly so of course I'm being punished for that um and it's incredibly painful uh, then after that, I'm going to be part of the anime anniversary with everybody else. I'm doing my Magic Lantern Japanese film showcase at 11.45 p.m. on Saturday. So it, let me explain. God was cruel so to us, this convention. Basically, Friday night. The yokai of conventions did not favor us. They, they did not. I mean, uh, basically, Friday night, you know, Saturday morning, technically at 1.15, I'm doing a panel. Then at 6.45 is when the Nintendo panel is in the morning. So, like, around 7 a.m., and then at 4 on Saturday afternoon, I'm doing the anime anniversary, and then at 11 at midnight, basically, 11.45, I'm doing the Japanese film panel, um, and then Sunday, Sunday, uh, is at 1.15 a.m. is when I'm doing the Sailor Moon musical panel, so only a few minutes, like, right, it's actually the panel right after the Magic Lantern one, so, like, I'll have one day where I don't get to have a break. And I am going to be like living on on a wing in a prayer, basically. <laughs> I want to die. I, I really no, no. like this is the only reason Bless they gave heart. me all these panels. I think is because stupid me did not know AOL was a twenty four hour con and checked the I will take any time slot box. There was your that first was mistake. My first mistake. Rookie. <laughs> um, you know, you give them an itch, they'll take a mile. I swear. So you you gotta you gotta apply for old man hours only. Old man hours strictly. And, and let me be a little candid here for a moment. I really do not like the AWAs taking place on Halloween. Like you would think, oh, an anime con would be perfect for Halloween, but really to me, it's not because like the theming just doesn't feel there. And, like, when it's an event where people are going to be dressed up anyway, it doesn't just... I don't know. Like, I'm just not feeling the Halloween spirit coming off of mm-hmm. AWA, so I'm a little... I feel like on Thursday everyone's going to show up in their cheap Party City costume <laughs> instead of their, like, I spent $700 and 40 hours of my life building this armor. <laughs> What I really want to see is people in those 40, you know, 400-hour suits of armor, you know, wearing Party City costumes on the outside of that. That's what I really want to see. But, like, I, I want to see, I'm like, a, really a, uh, an elaborate, like, Monster Hunter cosplay wearing, like, sexy Pikachu on the outside. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. But I'm not really feeling, like, Awa. Like, this will be my first Awa, and all the people who've gone before me that I, like, kind of look to to see the vibe or kind of not feeling it either. So I'm like, I'm, this will be, like, a, a very make-it-or-break-it con for me if I continue mm-hmm. to go to AWA, especially if Halloween weekend is going to be, like, a, a thing because I'm trying to find, like, the new thing I'll do for Halloween each year, and I don't want it to be, I drive to Atlanta and do panels at the ass <laughs> hours of the day. <laughs> That's really well, not I'm- what I was looking forward to. I'm kind of in the mindset of it should not ever be as bad as last year's was, so we'll we'll, we'll gauge it on that any, one. If it's any consolation to you, Sully, I mean, the way that things are moving towards these days is that most of the Halloween things that you would actually want to or anyone would actually want to probably are not going to actually happen on the day itself. That's true. I think I'm really just mourning the fact that I no longer have my university, like, undergraduate Halloween party 
um, that I, I used to do every year and like seeing the, the people I the kind of left behind doing it really just I'm like missing it and then I, I look to see what the graduate association does they're like we go bowling I'm like god you really are grad students you know how to have fun don't you <laughs> nothing says fun yeah, like, the, uh, to be a grad Halloween student. At the risk of driving face first into Tangent Town, I think we do have a couple more housekeeping <laughs> things that we need to talk yeah, about. Yeah, talk about that sweet, sweet Patreon. Oh, sure. So we do have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash thirdimpactanime. Um, and we have recently revamped it slightly. We've added a brand new tier and sort of simplified what was going on over there because I was kind of staring at it and thinking like, gosh, this should be better. So I made it better. Um... So we've got a $1 tier and a $5 tier, keeping it pretty simple. But where the ridiculous nonsense comes in and is with our goals, which I have set some basically unobtainable goals that I have no, no inclination that we will ever actually meet that are out there in the wild. And if by some miracle people decide to pay us enough to actually reach these goals, my mind would be thoroughly blown and we would have to do... Uh, just the most absurd amount of anime content reviewing imaginable. So that being said, if you guys want to challenge us, there's only one way to do it, and it's through cold hard cash through <laughs> Patreon. <laughs> so if you want to, you know, give us a um, a living nightmare, so to speak, in terms of all of the anime content, we would review for you for the right price. Head over to our Patreon and check out our goals and see what nonsense it is that I'm talking about. And as far as other um, little bit of housekeeping related items that we have, we now have fully transitioned away from our Facebook community group uh, for reasons that are very complicated and ethical. Um, we are now we on... hate Mark Zuckerberg. There you go. Tori <laughs> said it very diplomatically. That's what I would have said. I just didn't. Um... We have now transitioned from our Facebook community to a brand new Discord community. And if you would like to join us in our Discord community, please go over, over to our website, thirdimpactanime.com, and all you have to do is click on the community button in the header, and that will show you our Discord link, and you can come on in and join us. It's been a lot of fun so far. We've gotten a lot better reception than I really expected. I mean, I didn't expect the reception to be bad or anything. It was just, it's been very overwhelmingly positive so far. There's a lot of really cool people in there. There's a lot of good rules. I love rules. I'm a big fan of rules. <laughs> so make sure to read those because that's what makes a good community, right? Um, but yeah, if you want to join in on the fun with us over on Discord, please pop over to our website, click on that community tab, and come on in. We'd love to have you. before we get into what we're actually talking about because we love tangent town um let's talk about the spooky things we may have been reading watching playing 
consuming with our eyeballs and our minds at some point in October. Who would like to go first? Not me. Uh, well, I'll go first since my amount of such is probably fairly low compared to you guys. Sure. Um, but um, in addition to working at a haunted house, which I've mentioned on this podcast a couple times now, um, I've watched a couple movies. I haven't played any games because, uh, Tori, you and I were playing Silent Hill 2, but that we, we never got around to that actually during the month of October. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we should probably get back to that. Maybe maybe we'll make that a Christmas season thing. Well, you did finish uh, 2. We, did, we were playing 3 now. Oh, yeah, just kidding. Uh, I was thinking the second one on the PS3 disc, which is three. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, uh, I've I watched a couple movies. You and I watched John Carpenter's The Fog, both of us for the first time, and uh, that was pretty good. I enjoyed that pretty well. Mm. Uh, to my great dismay, that's like the first John Carpenter movie I've ever seen. Uh, I know that's kind of a weird place to start because most people would say, "Oh, you should start with Halloween or something," but. Uh, we picked up The Fog for, like, a dollar at the used bookstore, so figured I'd might as well check it out. It was pretty good. I didn't love it, but it it, it uh, had some really good scenes, I thought, and uh, had some good things overall, so that was enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see, what else? Uh, we watched uh, Pumpkinhead, which was very interesting. Uh, very strange movie in lots of ways but also like very silly and over the top and like fun and ridiculous which is kind of what I really like about horror movies most of the time. Mm -hmm. I'm not a person that really goes to horror to like get scared or spooked or whatever. I just want to see like neat weird creepy fantasy nonsense which is probably why like Evil Dead 2 is still my favorite horror movie of all time. Um... So, yeah, and I've watched a couple Hammer Horror movies, watched Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires, which is great, except it doesn't have Christopher Lee, so it loses a couple points there. But, um, yeah, that's pretty much pretty much all I've seen. What about you, Sully? Um, first, I just want to uh, point out that Pumpkinhead was actually shot in North Carolina. Um, Whoa. Oh, great. That's awesome. It was shot in the Triangle. I know that much. It's actually no. here here on wow. ABC but, News. You know, that would explain how they could go from, like, looking like a Louisiana swamp to looking like the West Virginian mountains, because we have a very diverse, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Landscape? Geography? Yes. Apparently, we've had a lot of horror movies yeah. shot here. Uh, like The Crow, yeah. I Know What You Did Last Summer, I'm just trying to think. Cabin I Fever. want the Hellraisers. Um... Evil April Dead Tuesday. Yeah, we've had a lot of horror films shot in North Carolina. There's actually uh, a little bit of a tangent town. There's actually a guy, uh, I think he might have done some stuff in the horror industry, but he actually built an exact replica of the Myers house from the original Halloween. And, like, nice. he does, like, a huge mm-hmm. Halloween party every year. You have to actually kind of, like, buy a ticket to it. And he also does, like, personal tours where he has, like, a huge memorabilia collection of horror movie props and effects. And I always wanted to go to it one day. That's um, cool. But, yeah, in North Carolina, we have so many weird things here. Um, <laughs> this is a very weird state. <laughs> so, uh, as for me... Um, Halloween is a sacred time for me, I think, as anyone who knows me can attest. I try to do something special, even if I can't go all out. Um, And I really couldn't go all out this year, but I've been watching movies pretty regularly um, in honor of of the holiday. So I've watched 
Adam's Family. I watched the original Nightmare on Elm Street last night. I watched the 1980s horror movie Dolls, and if you've not seen it, it's one of my favorites. I love it. It's so ridiculous. Um, I watched the original House on Haunted Hill. I watched the four hours long Never Sleep Again documentary on ne on YouTube uh, while I yes. was remaking that Nintendo panel because I was like, you know what? I'm in it for the long haul. Um, uh, I love I love that documentary. It's one of my favorites. Yeah, so I, I've been watching something every day. I've watched Hocus Pocus twice now, and I know I'll watch it at least one more time before the season's out because me and other Austin, my best friend, always watch it together. Um, I went to see the Rocky Horror Show, the original play, at a theater, a small community theater in Winston-Salem. They did a great job, and apparently they do it every year, so now I have a new annual Halloween tradition. I've been watching a lot of spooky anime episodes, so like some episodes of Ursa Yatsura with ghosts, uh, one of the episodes of Sailor Moon where she fights a vampire lady. Um, just trying to, you know, even if I can't, like, do a costume or do a party this year... And I'm kind of, you know, busy with grad school work and then AWA and all of that. I've just been trying to, like, keep the spirit alive. So, like, I've been eating a lot of pumpkin pie and drinking apple cider and, like, playing annoying Halloween music in my apartment. And that's probably why I got noise violation the other day. So, yeah, I, I've been mm -hmm. trying to, you know, keep Halloween in your heart. What about you, Tori? How have you been spooking it up? Um, I mean, I mostly have been watching movies, too. Um, I've been listening to creepy podcasts in Overdrive. Um, the No Sleep podcast just released their, um, like, three-hour-long Halloween episode. So usually you have to um, pay for a season pass to get, like, the full episode, um, like, for each season. Like, each episode is, like, double the length if you pay them, basically, which is clever. Um, but they always released their Halloween episode for free, and there was some good stories on that one. Um, I started this new podcast series, <clears throat> and I just want to preface with the fact that if you go to look this up, you are going to find that all of the reviews are very negative because people are dumb and couldn't tell it was fiction. <laughs> And then got bamboozled halfway through. And I'm just like, if you're listening to this, by the time you get to this character that is very obviously voiced by Danny Trejo, like, and you don't realize this is fiction, I don't know what to tell you. That's your fault. <laughs> I mean, Danny Trejo does lead a very interesting life, so true. it could be a true story. Um, but anyway, so it's called The Heads of Sierra Blanca, and it's um, set in... Mexico, I think, and it's about a fictional serial killer who um, murders his victims with a Rube Goldberg machine set up. Oh my goodness. Yeah, and um, I don't want to go too much into it. it. It is genuinely very good. Like, if you know anything about this kind of content, like, you know that it's fictional because, like, if this really happened, this would have been such a sensationalized case. Like, that's just too unique. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, but, like, the acting's okay. It is a little jarring when they break up the material and they're like, this episode is sponsored by Squarespace. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like, so two minutes ago you were telling me about somebody getting decapitated and now you're trying to sell me a website building service. I'm confused and uncomfortable, but... I mean, that's horror in 2019. You gotta pay those bills. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> um, but I really like that. And then I'm revisiting a book that I really love um, called A Head Full of Ghosts by Paul Trim Trembley, Trembley, something like that. Um, but it's about a family um, and their eldest daughter. Um, yeah, it's the eldest daughter. And you start off thinking that it is paranormal, but she ends up well, I don't want to spoil it, but it, it deals with some heavy stuff, um, and it's really good, and it's interesting, because it's told from the point of her younger sister, and they had, like, a, like, a, you know, those awful ghost hunting shows, like, they had one of those made about their family, and, um, it's good, I really enjoy it, even though I've read it, like, this is probably my fourth time reading it now, um, what else, let's see, I haven't really played any spooky games, um, and I talked about it in the last podcast, but please, if you have, like, a few hours, go marathon the Hell House LLC movies. They're so bad, they're good. different episodes of Yami Shibai and did some research into the story behind them, what they were based on. Um, we talked about it a bit last year on uh, our Halloween episode. Was it last year or was it the year before? It was last year. It was last mm -hmm. year, okay. So if you don't know, Yami Shibai is now currently seven seasons long. Um, each season runs about 13 plus episodes, but they are short, so you can get through it pretty quickly. The basic premise is you have the old man show up every day around sundown, and he uses the Kami Shibai method of storytelling um, to deliver all his spooky tales, and if you're unfamiliar with Kami Shibai, it's basically like paper theater, um, like paper doll type style things. Um, this was really popular before um, TV was invented and in every home, um, which is pretty cool. Um, there's also a partner or like a sister series to this done by the same people in the same style called Kagewani. And that focuses more on cryptids and that kind of stuff. Um, I don't want to delve too much into the show itself, like the production team and all that, because um, we're here to talk about different things. The only cool little tidbit I want to share that I found out, um, and I feel so silly for not knowing this until now, but particularly season two of Yami Shibai was directed by Takashi Shimizu, and when I first saw that, I was like, oh, no, no way. That's fake. That's a different one. That's another person with the same name. But this is the director who's best known for creating the Grudge franchise. 
Um, he also directed a Tomie movie and the Kiki's Delivery Service live action movie. Um, That's quite a resume. <laughs> I think like his his work ethos like sums up my branding. <laughs> like <laughs> here's this horrific stuff but oh here's a cute little magical girl doing her best okay great but yeah other than that we're just gonna kind of go sort of campfire style around the group and talk about um our episode and maybe why we chose it and what it was based on the first episode that i picked is season seven episode three the reception room and the basic overview of this story is an elderly couple have commissioned an artist to make a doll for them in the shape of a young girl because they have never been able to have children and the old woman really wanted to have a daughter. So they put this doll, because it is so beautiful and it's such a you know wonderful work of art, in their reception room. And the woman is like, oh, I love her. She's beautiful. I'm going to put her in a red dress. And the old man is, he's kind of sickly, and he's like, yeah, it's, it's great. Um, and the old woman becomes very attached to the doll. She combs its hair and talks to it and um, keeps saying, oh, I wish I had a daughter. Like, I, I've always wanted a daughter, and not. this is the closest I'll ever get. And then the old man keeps getting sicker and sicker the more attention she pays to the doll. And eventually he dies, and so now she's even closer to the doll, and she says, oh, you know, now it's only the two of us in the house, my husband has passed, and, you know, really all I wanted was to be a mother, I would do anything to hear you call me mother at least one time, um, and you see her fading away, and then she dies, and then slowly after she dies, the doll wakes up and says, thank you, mother, um, Oshimai. <laughs> That's it. Uh, that's the story. Um, and this legend, which I, so I don't know why, as much about. Real, real quick, you might get into this, but why is it called the reception room? Well, it's kind of like in Japanese houses, there's like this sort of, it's like a, an antechamber. It's like a little thing where like your guests enter. Mm -hmm. And so the idea is like, oh, we want to put her here because you put special things in your reception room. Um, hmm, so that okay. guests can see them, kind of sh not show them off and brag, but like these yeah. are important things. So you might put mm -hmm. a shrine to a family member or something like a handmade doll or anything nice. So that's why it's called the reception room. I guess it kind of threw me off because typically when I hear that phrase, I think of like the doctor's office. Right. Um, and it's not like they use the Japanese term for it. It's written in katakana, reception mm. room. Like, um, hmm. so... Yeah, that's that's not really the best title unless you really kind of know about it. I would call it maybe something like the the doll daughter or something, but I think it makes more sense. That would give it away <laughs> in, in a Japanese cultural context. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't know as much about Japanese urban legends as Tori does, so uh, this was some research they had done. But it might be based on the Hinagami, which is a doll spirit and traditionally the idea is they will grant the wish of the person who owns them and those people tend to make greedy wishes like i want money or riches or a bigger house or whatever but the idea is that the more you ask for it you always have to say thank you and the doll is never satisfied so you have to say thank you and ask for something else. You can't just ask for, I want a million dollars and the doll is satisfied. It's like you have to keep coming up with more and more things for it to give you. Um, and apparently when you die, it will follow you into hell and haunt you. <laughs> oh, God. So it's a terrifying <laughs> idea. Um, oh, wow. 
And kind of tying into the idea of this doll being commissioned by the old people, they have to be made through this very complicated ritual, like you have to get grave earth that's been trampled on by people during the day, and collected this way every night for three years. So you can't just, you know, make a well, doll and call it a day. Um, it's very involved. the doll is made in the form of a god or a spirit, not just any old doll. Um, so it's, it's not a, a complete one-to-one -one translation of the, of the, the Yami Shibai episode onto the, the, the figure from mythology, but the idea of, like, the doll taking the energy from the people and it bringing it to life, and I think for me, when I first watched the episode, I was kind of interpreting it maybe as a social commentary on the, the aging population of Japan who, um are having more, they do not have people to take care of them um, because their children are living at home more, and maybe this is a reflection on that, the idea of like this doll that is metaphorically their child takes and takes and takes from them, and only when they're dead does it fully come to life and say, thank you, mother. Like maybe it's a reflection on the idea of like maybe the older generation giving or not having someone to care for them in the traditional way, or maybe even this idea of, like, in traditional Japanese fairy tales, and it's, it's also common in Western fairy tales, there's the elderly couple who cannot have a child, so they get a child from some outside source, usually magical, like in uh, the tale of Princess Kaguya, the bamboo cutter cuts open the bamboo and the child is there, and Momotaro, mm -hmm. the giant peach washes down the river and they get the baby from the peach. You know, there is that common, or in Isumboshi, they wish for a child and he's one inch tall. Like, there's this constant thread of older people who don't have children and wishing for children, and they arrive in a magical form. But this is like a darker take, so it's not like this is a good thing, it's the doll is malevolent, or at least uh, dangerous. Maybe the doll itself isn't evil, but it still takes their energy and it comes to life after it has sucked their life force out. So maybe it's sort of a, a take on a lot of traditional fairy tales in Japan. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting you outlined that story because by by how you explained it, it does not seem like the spirit or the ghost or the doll or whatever is like necessarily malevolent, which is kind of what I enjoy about some of these Yamisubai shorts, because one of mine is, is kind of like that as well. So it's like some of them can be kind of gruesome and very unsettling, but some of them are just like exploring spirits that are not necessarily vengeful or evil or whatever. Right, and that's one of the things that attracted me to the story, both because the protagonists are older people, which doesn't happen a lot in horror stories or urban legends in throughout the world, is we very rarely focus on older people as protagonists. They tend to be like witches or weirdos or creeps or killers or something like that, and this is the older people are the victims or they are the unfortunate victims of this thing. And again, it's not also the doll at least in the episode, is not necessarily even framed as evil. Like, it's creepy because this is everything is kind of using the language of horror cinema, you know? The doll has kind of got a shadow on it, but it's never like... It doesn't look like Chucky. It doesn't look like that Annabelle doll in those movies. It looks just like a, a you know, big porcelain doll, and then when it comes to life, it's not like laughing sincerely. It says, oh, thank you, mother. Like, it's more of a tragic mm -hmm. fairy tale, I think, of mm. this older couple wishing for a daughter, and they get it at the at the cost of their own lives. And that's, mm. again, I kind of like more than just, you know, ooh, it's going to get you. I think it's <laughs> fun to have more of a weirder sort of tragic horror take as opposed mm -hmm. to like again chucky running around trying to kill you it's not uh, it's not scary it's more sad 
Yeah, I think it's um the symbolism of the dolls too, because I mean they do this all the time in horror. It's nothing really um unique to J horror, but it's basically just like an empty vessel, so you can kind of um. <clears throat> project whatever you want onto it or it soaks up the energy or whatever so um kind of like annabelle and chucky they were possessed by the spirit of somebody who had been killed um but i find it fascinating too like you were saying that it was more of a you gave me life thank you because you were putting like good vibes into me sort of Mm -hmm. Um, but there is a very fascinating plot point with that kind of, um, storyline and, like, framing in Fatal Frame 2, Hmm. um, which is pretty cool, so. Dolls are scary. Dolls are very scary. I mentioned in my horror film watching for October the film Dolls, I think it's from either 82 or 87, um, and it kind of follows a similar thing. It's about this this family that they, you know, there's a storm and their car breaks down and they go to this castle or big house with this old elderly couple who are doll makers. And the whole, it's more of a fairy tale and the, the little girl that's with her, you know, mean stepmother and her useless father. It's kind of like because she follows the rules, you know, she's respectful to the older couple. She is playful with the dolls and treats them kindly and kind of speaks of them like they're fairies, like she is good and so her parents are killed, but it's framed as, oh, well now you're free because you were kind to the dolls and even though they're, you know, cursed, they're haunted dolls, they're not going to hurt you because you're a good person. And it kind of made me think of that because we're so often shown dolls as they are unanimously just evil and after everyone as opposed to this kind of like fairy ghost if you do right by me i will maybe do right by you thing and even though the older couple dies here it doesn't feel like the doll was like maliciously trying to kill them so much as this might have just been an unfortunate coincidence of its being So the first of the two I want to talk about is an episode called Tongue, <laughs> as in, you know, the thing in your mouth. not tongs, um, as in the thing I use to scoop salad up at the buffet. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 not tongs. Tongs. Um, so the gist is basically... A businessman is on his way home, and he spots a dead cat um, that had been hit by a car just lying in the road. Um, He thinks it might still be alive, so he picks it up and um, realizes the cat is dead and is probably not coming back. Um, So he buries it. Um, There's some schoolgirls that walk by, and I think they say something to him like, um, if you take pity on dead things they follow you home so something to that effect um and then he goes home that night and he keeps hearing meowing in his apartment and um long of the short it basically is a dead woman holding the dead cat and she's like well you found and buried this cat why didn't you find and bury me (laughs) 
Hmm, eerie. So, yeah, that was uh, it was an interesting take, considering um, just the cat plot point alone is enough to go off of, so it's interesting they kind of tack that other plot point on for shock factor. But um, this one is just straight up based on uh, Bakeneko, um, which translates to changed cat. And... Uh, the Bakeneko is a yokai um, that is a cat. He is a cat that walks on his hind feet up like a person. That's called what? Bi- bipedal? Something mm-hmm. like that? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but the Bakeneko goes all the way back. Like the first recorded literature piece about this particular yokai was from the Kamakura period. During the Edo period, tales about the Bakeneko... Um, were collected in, like, essays, basically, in, like, kaidan collections. Um, so these things are pretty well documented. Um, but the Bakeneko is just, like, this mischievous little cat creature um, that basically, if you um, do something harmful to a cat or, like, um, abuse a cat, it will curse you and just cause all sorts of mischief. And I feel like cats anyway are a creature through a lot of the time that we've been on Earth have just gotten this like really bad rap. You know how they would say that, oh, they're witches familiars and, you know, cats lay on babies at night to suffocate them so the witches can steal their souls. But they were just like smelling the milk on the baby's mouth. And they also had a weird like belief um, that the Bakeneko would lick oil out of the oil lamps. <laughs> um, so during the Edo period, people would believe that um, if they saw their cat licking their lights, like their oil lanterns, that something, like it was an omen of something about to happen. Um, but apparently people in that time used cheap oils made out of fish. <laughs> Oh, makes so sense. So that, that explains a lot. Um, and people apparently uh, ate a lot of that during that time, and cats did not. Um, so they would be pretty pretty drawn to that. Um, and then the whole, you know, yokai walking on his hind legs came from um, the image of the cat standing up to, like, lick the lantern um, so the lighting on his face, like on the cat's face, was very like yellow and glowing, and it made their face look even rounder. So that's why you see a lot of um, Bakeneko portrayed that way. Is the main little cat dude from Yokai Watch? Is he based on the Bakeneko? Yeah, but um, he's actually because he has two tails. Um, he's based on the Nekomata Yokai. Um, which is basically kind of like a Bakeneko, but a little more chill. Like, he's not as oh. <laughs> mischievous. Where, like, you would put Bakeneko on the level of, like, a kitsune mm-hmm. spirit, where they're, like, very, like, tricky and just like to mess with people. Okay. Um, but there were, like, accounts of Bakeneko um, killing people mm. and, like, causing, like, mass destruction. So, I don't know, man. They just kind of do whatever they feel like wanting to do sounds like any old Um, cat that's true (laughs) um and apparently your cat can become a bakeneko if it lives over 13 years long Mm 
Um, they have to grow to a certain size, which is over 3.75 kilograms. Mm -hmm. I don't know what that is in American. Um, <laughs> they also they also have to lick up large quantities of lamp oil. I'll um, make sure to get my and, kitty right on that. <laughs> and apparently a telltale sign that your cat may be close to becoming a bakeneko is believed to be an exceptionally long tail. Um, and this is why you'll see a lot of cats in Japan have bob tails, because it is in their um, genetics now, because they would bob their tails when they were kittens. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And um, when you asked me that question, I thought you were going to ask me about Monogatari, mm -hmm. um, because Hanakawa is possessed by a Bakeneko, because she helped a dead cat. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. right. And, you yeah. know, her, her cat spirit is definitely more on the mischievous side. That's true. Mm -hmm. Real true. Um, and I, I guess because... I'm tangenting a little bit. I guess because she was already going through so much at that time in the story that it was kind of just like, you're miserable, I'm going to make you more miserable. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, Yeah, but... Um, I will say... Yeah, also, that's the... Oh, go ahead. I will say also that uh, some research I had done for something kind of unrelated is that uh, a supposed uh, explanation for why Alice in Wonderland is so popular in Japan is because so much of that book, the, the creatures and characters Alice meet kind of represent or kind of... Uh, feel like yokai and it has been kind of supposed that it, for many people in Japan the Cheshire Cat can be seen as sort of a bakeneko um, mm, this sort yeah. of mischie mischievous uh, kind of awkward, oddly sinister uh, presence in the book and the, the disappearing and reappearing, the long tail, the, the big smile uh, uh, the Cheshire Cat has been kind of seen as like, oh, you know, this is what we would call a bakeneko in Japan, and maybe that's one reason why that character is so popular, um, and one of the reasons why that book is so popular is because so many of the characters kind of have figures in folklore that can be correlated to if you were to look for it. And I will also say that I would help the cat. <laughs> me too I, if a cat is gonna possess me that's fine i'll live with it i'm pretty chill as long as these yokai aren't like trying to kill me come on you have room in my heart <laughs> So my first one is called The Crow Children. It's from season five. It's episode three. Um, in Japanese, it's called Kurasu no Ko. And uh, this one is not really based on like a yokai per se or a urban legend per se, but uh, it does have an interesting cultural sort of um, origin that I think informs it. So uh, basically the short starts with this uh, uh, mother and her young daughter uh, walking into this uh, rural Japanese town because they're going to visit uh, grandma. And um, whenever they're walking into the town, um, a bunch of boys, uh, like little little boys, um, um, 
from the village are like running past the daughter and the mom and you sort of overhear them saying something about like watch out for the crow lady she'll get you or something like that and the little and the daughter is just like hmm i wonder who this crow lady is and then uh they keep walking down the path and out from the shadows underneath of a tree comes this old woman that's basically looking like she's wearing like funeral garb um it's like all black with like a veil in front of her face and she like greets the two and they greet her and they just sort of walk past but the young daughter is like perplexed by her she's like this this old woman she she was nice but she's just a little weird or whatever and then they go to grandma's house later that evening and uh as uh grandma and the mother are talking out on the porch the daughter is out playing with a ball and she then goes missing suddenly and the mom has to go look for her she's like screaming for her, you know, wondering where she went off to and everything and cannot find her. So she goes over to the crow lady's home, which is like right next door to her mother's home and says, have you seen my daughter anywhere? Or no, she doesn't, she doesn't ask her initially, but she finds her daughter in the crow lady's backyard and she's crying. And she says, daughter, you know, why are you crying? What happened? And she said, I was trying to climb this tree and I fell down because I wanted to go up it and play. And then the crow lady comes out and says, you know, like, I'm, it's okay, honey. It's like, all everything's fine. And then the mother's just like, I'm so sorry for bothering you. We'll leave your property immediately, so on and so forth. And then the mom and the daughter, they walk off back to grandma's house. And as the camera pulls away, you see the crow lady standing in front of her house, and it pans to show the house and this very large tree that the daughter was trying to climb into, and it's just covered in crows. Um, and as the as the short ends, the crows morph into the little boys that we saw earlier in the beginning of the episode, supposed to imply that like her they got got. They got got, or the crows are her children, or those little boys were crows all along, and there's this weird lady's got this, you know, uh, a murder of little boys that she's turned into crows, or crows that are little boys, or whatever. It's very vague, but it's just kind of spooky. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. Nothing really malicious happens in it. Like, you don't ever see the old crow lady, like, do anything evil. I guess you could maybe assume that maybe she transformed these local boys into crows, or maybe the boys that um, the little girl saw in the beginning were crows all along and they weren't actually little boys. Um, but this plays into sort of the origin of this um, uh, short, which there is a very, very popular children's nursery rhyme from the 1920s in Japan. It's called uh, Nanatsu no Ko. So as the Short is called Kurasu no Ko, the song is called Nanatsu no Ko, which means the seven children. And it's basically like this cutesy little song about this crow mother who is basically singing about how adorable her little crow children are and how much she loves them. It's a very sweet and innocent song, but I think what makes this short kind of creepy is that it takes the idea of that, like, cute sweet nursery rhyme which we've all seen done before in horror material they do that do this all the time um but they took it and then they made it literal so like a mother with her crow children that also now happen to be children that are crows so that's kind of spooky in of itself um (laughs) 
But I just, I just found this one interesting because it, you know, connects to that nursery rhyme. It's something that I was not familiar with. I had to find all of this out through, uh, through a little bit of research. But, um, but it's interesting in looking a little bit more into it to see the cultural connotation of crows in Japan. And mm. they are, um, they're not necessarily, they don't necessarily have a negative connotation to them. Um, they... They were sort of traditionally seen as evidence of divine intervention in human affairs, and that can either be positive or negative. Um, but largely, crows were associated with being on battlefields after like great battles and things, you know, picking at the bodies, um, to which you would probably guess would give like crows being the connotation of like death and um, decay and stuff like that. But in mm-hmm. more so in Japanese folktale, they don't really see it necessarily like that. They see it more as they're there to clean up the messes that the human beings have made. They're there to start a new birth after a tragedy. And um, so that's what leads me to think that maybe the conclusion of, of this short is that the cr- it's not necessarily supposed to be that these crows or this crow mother are necessarily like malicious spirits. They just seem to sort of exist. Um, because it does not seem to me, at least, that the Japanese folkloric history of crows is necessarily negative. It's more just kind of like they are, and they're just associated with being around after tragedy, but they can either be, you know, omens or helpers. And I, I found that, I find that very interesting. I like the short a lot. The, the short itself kind of reminds me of, of, uh, a European fairy tale of the seven crows, or ravens where usually um, a witch or a wicked stepmother turns these seven brothers into crows and the daughter has to perform some task uh, in order to save her brothers. Usually it's something like uh, not speaking or like some sort of task and it really made me think of it. And sometimes they turn into swans, but usually crows. Um, and that's why I was wondering if maybe this was like a a Japanese riff on that story in a way, because there are some Japanese tales that will borrow from European fairy tales. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I kind of got from it, but I'm not like stating that's what it is. Yeah. I mean, they definitely could be pulling from that, but, but like I said, there's nothing about it that makes it more than eerie because it doesn't really seem like there was much malicious intent. I mean, I, you could read the short as that, you know, if mom had not shown up at the right time, maybe the daughter would have gotten turned into a crow as well. Um, but we don't, really know that it seems more open-ended so uh i don't know just just interesting Mm -hmm. i remember that one and i personally took it as like the little boys were warning her Mm -hmm. maybe because she got them too but um you feel like maybe that's taking it pretty face value um possibly but you know they were all sort of like whenever you see them in the beginning they were all just kind of like playing with each other like they didn't really seem mm -hmm. to be in pain or anything and yeah. I, I, I don't know. I mean, the great thing about this short is that obviously there are a bunch of different ways that it could be interpreted. And I think that mm-hmm. that in of itself makes it better. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if they were inspired by that fairy tale. I know a lot yeah. of Japanese media takes, you said it was European, right? Uh, it's German, although I think it came from a Greek story. I, I know it is in the Grimm's fairy tales, though. Gotcha, and I know that stuff's really popular in Japan, like, they really dig that, so that would not 
surprise me if that mm-hmm. somehow came across, um, somebody came across that as they were writing mm-hmm. um, the scenario for that one. But uh, crows are awesome. Mm-hmm. They're brilliant birds. <laughs> they are. They can break into a car. They can break into a, a car. Car. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> good one. <laughs> Would you talk about your next one? Sure. So my next story is called Give Back Sama, and it comes from Season 5, Episode 6. The basic plot is a high school girl has just found out that her boyfriend has left her for her best friend. So, um, you know, we already have very high stakes when just the opening of the story. So, yeah, her her boyfriend has left her for her best friend, and she's really upset about this. And so while she's in the library, she comes upon a book of curses and urban legends and things like that. And it it turns out if you go to this, if you go to a phone, like a phone booth at 11.59 p.m. right at the stroke of midnight and you dial 9999, and uh, wait. There will be a lady or a person called Giveback-sama who will say, what do you want? And you say, I want boyfriend's name back, and then he will come back to you. But at the very next night, at the same time, you have to dial that number and then say, thank you, and or else you will have something taken from you. There will be some sort of punishment. And so she goes to the phone, she makes the call, and she doesn't hear a voice, but she just says, I want my boyfriend back. And she hears a coin fall down and click into the thing, and so she thinks it works. And it spooks her, and she runs off. Well, the next day, she goes to school, and her best, her ex-best friend, he, she did steal her boyfriend after all. Well, she's dead now. She died in a traffic accident. Um, yeah, I'm assuming that uh, the story is working on a similar logic to Korean dramas, where they're just car accidents, you know, all the time. Um so she's dead, and then her boyfriend comes and says, I, yeah, I feel weird, I feel bad about this, I was going to walk her home, that could have been me, we're going to go out eat, like all this stuff, like I need you again, like I'm scared and alone, I don't know what to do, and she's like, this is not what I wanted, and then she remembers when she goes home from school that now, oh wait, I have to go to the phone and make that call or else it'll get worse, so she runs and finds out someone is already using the payphone, and she's too late, and the, that last scene just shows blood spattering on the payphone walls. I don't know if it killed her or what. It's kind of not the best ending, but that's the story. Um, and again, I don't know much about urban legends, and so I tried to do a little research on this, and I really couldn't find uh, much. Uh, it, it There are a lot of ghost stories that tend to follow around telephones or or modern like technology in some way like there's some sort of haunted technology like using a phone or a computer or um a video game or something and there's all i was i was gonna point out how interesting it is that both of your stories deal with like spirits wanting 
to be told thank you or saying thank you. It's very polite. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I, I, politeness is so much a cultural aspect of Japan. It makes sense that mm -hmm. uh, the sort of morality, these morality plays in these stories are the idea of like reinforcing politeness. Like you must say you must perform kindness if a kindness is performed to you because otherwise you will anger something more powerful than you that will, will seek its, seek its comeuppance mm. on you. Um, and I, I like the idea, the one the reason I chose this one is because I like the idea of like someone doing something out of spite. Um, so many of these stories tend to be people wandering into bad situations um like the crows they just sort of happen to be there or the doll in a way is almost just like they were not prepared another episode i watched for this that i um i don't i'm not going to talk about but it was like a guy finding an earring when he works at the manga cafe it, it wasn't like he did anything bad it was just he was unlucky enough to find that earring and a bad thing happened or there was one story about a girl who happens to rent a haunted apartment. She didn't do anything to deserve it. It just happens because fate is cruel. But this story is someone saying, I'm so upset. I want some kind of revenge. And even then, she doesn't want to hurt the other girl. She just wants her boyfriend back. Um, and it's this idea, I guess, of you know all magic or all... Any dabbling with the supernatural comes with a very steep price. You don't just get your boyfriend back. Your friend will die in the process in order to get him back. And he does say, I need you, but not in the way that she wanted to. He's in mourning. He's in shock. Um, and I kind of like that sort of Faustian twist of you want something, but you're going to have to pay a very steep price for it. Um, and again, the idea of technology. I mean, it's not the plot of one miscall, but they both deal with phones. And a lot of these Japanese urban legends tend to deal with uh, cursed technology in some way. And I wonder if maybe that's a reflection of like things like you know the the Meiji Restoration when you have all this influx of Western technology or um, this rapid rapid modernization and then maybe these stories kind of evolve from that. Um, and now again, not to put too fine a point on it, I'm not a Japanese cultural studies expert, but I, I just thought it was an interesting theme of you have to go to a phone to summon this spirit. And you have to do it at a certain time, dialing a certain number, and you have to come back to the same phone and, and thank them in the same way that you summoned them. Um, so that, that's what I, I just thought was a, a fun little story. It was one of the ones that sort of stood out to me, even though I felt the ending was a little little muddled. I don't, it doesn't really necessarily say what happened, because also when she turns around, the person using the phone is the dead girl. And it's not if it's her ghost or if it's... Uh, give back some uh, taking her form as a way of a, another way of spooking her. Um, yeah, I, I, I think this was the weaker of the two stories I chose, but I still felt it was uh, interesting enough to tell people to look out for. And also, just I love stories of like dumb kids messing in like <laughs> supernatural stuff. Like I like that seems to be such a thing in Japanese media. Is like why does this library have a book of curses in like a high school library? Like, it it's kind of, of like, in overall, why is there, like, a black magic club, like? Why are we doing this friendship charm that we know will send us to a very violent alternate dimension if we do it wrong? Yeah, it's like, it's like they all go to Creepypasta High or something. <laughs> <laughs> God, I wish. <laughs>
Like, for some reason, like, uh, Japanese stories in particular seem to love high schoolers dabbling in, like, very powerful occult magic for no, for, <laughs> for very trivial things. Like, I want my boyfriend back. Let me summon this dark, otherworldly spirit to do it. I mean, what else are you supposed to do? It's a metaphor. Wear, wear Chanel number five and wear, put on, like, something short, a short skirt or something. Blue coral Like, I'm gonna go. <laughs> Mambo number six. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, that's a lot a of fight. Uh, like a normal person, don't summon a like a demonic presence into your home. Like or I said, just it's don't a metaphor. care about boys. <laughs> True. I mean, I kind of just want to tell us, like, honey, he's trash anyway. <laughs> um, it, that kind of reminds me of Hell Girl, and I like I find Hell Girl very fascinating in the sense that like she can't really spare anybody. Like people will know that they're going to die as long like but they're they're okay because they're you know sending somebody who's pretty vile um to hell and i guess they're kind of just like taking one for the team but um like you can't outrun her there's no like putting the curse off onto anybody else um like if you use her services she will come to kill you so basically don't don't Hmm? summon a ghost no, Especially over something and, um, that petty. That kind of goes along with those, you'll read like those creepy pastas, like play the elevator game, get on the elevator at 1.32 a.m. and, you know, hit the buttons in this order, and if a lady gets on with you, look down, and then hit the buttons in this order, and if she tries to speak to you, don't, because she'll have no face, and um, it reminds that's just really me, fascinating. It reminds I, me, I, I, cause I, sorry. Uh-huh. I've really gotten into watching Jenny Nicholson lately, and has that video on Creepypasta, and there's one, like, the Japanese doll thing, where it let you bring it. Yes, the doll hide, hide and, seek, and seek, and she's like, so it says, like, under no circumstances to do this, and then gives me detailed instructions on how to do this. I know, and see, you know how I'm like, nothing scares me, but, like, I want to do one of these things, but it's just the, like maybe it's true type of thing and i am suddenly in like the 16th spirit dimension and you never hear from me again but i always want to know how people figure this out like who is the jackass at 1:32 a.m. going into an elevator and riding to the first third and then like 16th floor to talk to a ghost like you know how people why? like <laughs> Like, they'll get into, like, speedrunning video games and, like, they do all sorts of weird things to find every glitch in the game to make certain things happen. Maybe that's just the real-life equivalent. Like, ride up and down an elevator, like, 30 times until you find out you summon a ghost. I don't want to know that, though. I want that lady to stay in her dimension. That's fine. I don't need her here. The next episode I want to talk about is from season one, episode eight. 
It's called the Umbrella Goddess, um, and it could potentially be based on the urban legend of Hachishakusama, or Hashakusama, um, is what they call her for short, even though that's just as long, um, which roughly translates to the eight feet tall woman. Imagine Slenderman, except a woman, because apparently gender matters, um, and she's wearing a big white floppy sun hat and a long, like, white, kind of dingy sundress and very long black hair, because of course that's just what we do, and she's got very, very long limbs, and she's just floating around going bop, 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 because <laughs> that's the eight-foot-tall woman. <laughs> um, so from what I was researching, apparently this did start online as kind of a Slenderman-esque thing, so you know how that came from, like, a something awful Halloween contest or something. So, apparently, people on a Japanese forum were kind of doing the same thing. They were just talking about, like, creatures and whatnot. And, um, the eight-foot-tall woman has two appearances. Um, basically a withered old woman or a young beautiful woman because how are you going to kill anybody if you're not a beautiful woman? Um, but everyone states who has seen her that she always has the white dress and then the wide brim hat. Um, she exclusively attacks children, so very Slenderman-esque, um, and doesn't really bother with adults. Um, and apparently, according to my resources, it's because children are easier to lure away. Um, so it sounds like she just needs to be friends with it. Um, I feel like they'd have a good, a good dynamic going on. I don't know if she waits until, like, you know, they're deliciously seasoned with fear, but, um, she likes to eat children um anyway so she to me is more of um a classification of yokai called onyo and they're like vengeful spirits so like um sadako from the ring or kayako from the uh grudge um so yeah she mostly takes children um there is a pretty long like story like creepypasta-esque post that somebody wrote about like them seeing her um and it also takes place out in the rural country um the person was at their uh grandparents house <laughs> why is it always your poor old grandparents out in the countryside um they started to hear that noise um, and then in between the gaps in the forest, they could see her floating there. Um, I just saw this really big woman. <laughs> um, and luckily they didn't get snatched by her, but his father didn't believe him. Um, and that's basically it. I should have given the synopsis of my show or like the, the episode, but I was just really excited to talk about the big lady. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go out to tea with her. 
Um, so in the actual episode, I'm so sorry. Um, it it kind of like follows um, the like the story, like the creepypasta story for this character. Um, but a young boy goes out to the countryside. He's visiting his friends. Um, he sees the woman, but she's holding an open umbrella in her mouth and making more of a high-pitched noise. Um, but he gets cursed by her um, and has to basically stay in an old shed overnight with a bowl of salt to, like, break the curse. Um, but it didn't work, obviously, and he gets snatched. Um, but according to all the notes that I could find for this episode, it does, um, it was loosely based on that particular urban legend. Um, I just think it's really cool to see something from a different culture that, like, mirrors Slenderman, and I think she might have come later, but I don't know if they saw that particular, like, story come to fruition, and they were like, oh, that's cool, let's do it, but, like, with a lady. And an umbrella. And an umbrella. Are her and Slenderman married? No, but that's, like, the perfect pairing. They're both tall and love to kidnap and eat children, so... Sully, last time I I heard, they were engaged. (laughs) I'm so happy for them. Loving that journey for them. (laughs) Me too. In my mind, they're married and they've adopted Jeff the Killer as their son. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Good. Anyway, yeah, now you can publish that fanfiction um, yeah. on Wattpad. Do what? I said now you can publish that fanfiction on Wattpad. All right, <laughs> hear me typing. <laughs> um, anyway, so yes, that is Hashakusama. Um, she is a very tall lady with questionable fashion choices um, and will eat unintended children. Yep. <laughs> Big mood, as the kids say. <laughs> Vibe check. So my last one here, Tori's sort of already touched on, but mine is more of like the classic example of the onryo. Uh, which is, again, a yokai, as Tori outlined just a little bit, that is most frequently just described as a vengeful spirit or a vengeful ghost. Yokai, but spicy. Very spicy. Um, (laughs) So basically, everybody has already heard of the Onryo, you just might not know it, because that's basically the kind of yokai that, you know, characters like from... uh, the grudge are riffing on like the the mother and the child whose names escape me at the moment tori fill me in uh kayako and toshio yes those two they're basically the prototypical example of the onryo or the typical rather example of the onryo which is basically like a vengeful ghost that was either killed uh, that was that was killed in some sort of very passionate display or they left behind, like, a lot of hard feelings of not necessarily, like, even um, anger necessarily, but it could be, like, anger or hatred, but it even could also be, like, very intense passion or love, and their uh, lives were cut short, and basically their spirit sort of exists as this very, like, 
vengeful, passionate creature that goes after people and, like, eats them and kills them and stuff like that. Um, so it's basically your, your, if you think of, like, evil ghost, this is kind of the Japanese, uh, version of that. And my short is from season seven, it's episode two, and it's called The Sleepless Child. And uh, basically it follows this uh, very rainy evening where a mother and her son are at home alone and they're watching the television and there's a news report about a little boy that has just been killed in their area. So clearly, you know, the mother having a little boy her, of, her, of her own is, you know, very concerned. She's very frightened and shaken up by the event. So she gives her husband a call and says, hey, you know, we're here home alone. There's just been this horrible thing that's happened in the neighborhood. Like, can you come home as soon as possible? And he's like, sure, I'll be there as soon as I can. It's just there's a lot of work that I have to get done here. So I, I, it'll be a couple more hours, but I'll do my best. So... The mother, you know, very reluctantly, like, gets her son ready for bed, and they, they both go to sleep, and they, they try and sleep, but the mother keeps getting woken up by, uh, like, creepy noises and things, and she wakes up and goes into the kitchen after hearing a loud crash, and uh, sees her son there, and he says, oh, mom, I, uh, was trying to get some milk and accidentally broke a glass, and she's like, Oh, thank goodness it wasn't something spooky. Uh, so she, uh, <laughs> foreshadowing, but uh, she helps him pick up the glass and says, well, if you're having a hard time getting to sleep, just come into, come into my room and we can sleep together for the evening. And uh, he, he's sort of resistant because she's just like, Mom, I'm like eight years old now. I don't need to do that. Um, I'm cool. I can sleep in my own bed. But he goes, I'm an adult. But he goes in there anyway. And they both go to sleep and they... Uh, but uh, a couple hours later, the mother is uh, woken up again by a nightmare that she's having of being covered in dirt. Um, and she gets up out of the bed and starts walking down the hallway. And just suddenly she hears a bunch of laughing and all around her appear like dirty footprints and dirty handprints. And she starts uh, getting really freaked out. So she calls her husband and is just like, it's 2.30 a.m., why aren't you home yet? And he's like, well, I'm I'm on the way. I, I just got done with all the stuff that I needed to get done, so I'm on the way now. But then her husband's voice changes into this little boy's voice that starts, like, haunting her and saying things to her. And then she eventually sort of breaks down and confesses to herself and to the little boy on the phone that she was actually the one that killed the little boy in the neighborhood and buried him after running him over with her car. So, uh, mm. the, uh, and sort of the, the, the jump scare at the end is the little boy showing up in her bedroom, uh, where she thought she was sleeping with her son, but she was actually sleeping with the ghost. Ooh. Uh, and yeah, the little, the little ghost boy that shows up looks exactly like the little ghost boy from The Grudge. Almost identical. Nice. So, uh, yeah, and th this was a really good short. It's like a entire Japanese horror film distilled into about five minutes. Um, I would highly recommend it. It was a good little spook. Um, and it had, it had a lot going, a lot going on, going on with it. Like a very full realized narrative in a very short amount of, uh, amount of time and, um, a good sort of distilled version of, uh, what the Onryo is like if you don't want to sit down and watch a whole film. So yeah, it was pretty good.
Okay, that sums up us talking about our spookies. I have a good list of questions from over on our Discord community, so thank you guys for that. That's awesome, because it gives us more to talk about, as if we don't talk enough. <laughs> um, so for the first one comes from third Impact Anime member Sarah. Hello. Um... She asks, what ghost story slash urban legend freaked you out the most as a kid? Sully, go. <laughs> uh, I actually don't know. And that's not to say that, like, I wasn't scared as a kid. But, like, I can't really think of any, like, urban legends. That I, like, I, my, my family was not really into urban legends. Um, they were more into terrifying you by just ignoring your existence. Um, wow. <laughs> Sometimes the real things are the scariest. <laughs> Sometimes the horror is neglect. Um, but, um, I do remember that my grandmother once told me the story that she was scared by a, by a clock playing Old Man River because she didn't know that the clock could play music and she thought that song was haunted. That, that's all I remember. <laughs> Um, oh, I love that. The haunted song. <laughs> and it's funny because that <laughs> clock played it like a calculator, and it didn't, like, play it, like, full. It just, like, did, like, a terrible, like, calculator noise rendition of it. Amazing. Um, that's literally, when you say, like, ghost story, that's the only one I could think of, or, like, horror story that I really remember from my childhood at all. Oh, wow. All right, Austin. Well... Yeah, the, there weren't too many things that really spooked me kind of like that as a kid, except I guess there. Uh, my dad used to have this friend who was a self-professed ghost hunter, and uh, he um, would, you know, recount tales of, like, going to, like, spooky, um, like, Civil War battlegrounds and, like taking pictures of orbs and things like that. And but did he live in a house where somebody was murdered? <laughs> What's that? I said, but did he live in a house where someone was murdered? I mean, I don't know. You're spoiling yourself. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, he would talk about that, and he'd have, like, some sort of, like, Ghostbusters-level ectoplasm re reader or whatever you call those no. things. Um, it it was a little bit more fancier than that, I guess. It's an EMF reader. Uh, yeah, that's the one. That's that's the thing. But yeah, like, and he would tell these stories about these things that happened to him at these battlegrounds and stuff, and that would like kind of creep me out. But it wouldn't creep me out as much as I just thought it was fascinating. Um, mm -hmm. But it, it, I mean, it was a little eerie. But uh, that, that's probably that's probably all I could really say. I mean, spooky stuff never really got to me. In that sense, it was more like I would watch something in a movie or see something on TV that would stick in my mind as being spooky, and that's what would freak me out and, you know, invade mm -hmm. my nightmares and things. But, yeah, that's that's all I can really think of. Mm -hmm. As far as urban legend stuff goes, I was very afraid of Bloody Mary as a child. Mm. <laughs> um, and it all started because of um, this weird girl in the class I was in at the time and we all had this big sleepover so it was like me a girl I was friends with and like she was on the fringe like she was invited because she was a friend of a friend and we were in um like a 
like an event room for a church that they would go to. So they were like, yeah, you can you can sleep here. That's fine. We'll leave you locked in this church overnight, which is horrifying to think about now. Um, but the one girl was like, have you guys ever done Bloody Mary? And I'm like, no, that sounds stupid. I want to go to bed. And she's like, I'm going to go in the bathroom and do it right now. And I'm going to come out and my face will be scratched. Watch. And like, she went in the bathroom the dummy scratched her own face up just to prove a point. And somehow in my mind that equated to like for a good five years after that to never look in mirrors. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like weirdly afraid of Bloody Mary. And then like not long after I got out of that phase, I watched Candyman for the first time. And I was like, oh, <laughs> here we go again. Great. Um, other than that. There's this weird... I really like to read the SCP wiki thing. Are you guys familiar with that? A little bit. Okay, well, it's like... I don't even know how to explain it. Like, SCP stands for, like, Secure, Contain, Protect. And it's, like, this weird wiki article. And, like, most of the entries are redacted. And it's about, like, cursed items or people or places. Um, and they have different levels of, like, dangerousness. But there is this one. And I'll have to find it so I can link it in the show notes. And I forget about it. But then every now and then I'll remember it. And it just, like, puts the fear of God into me. But it's this one SCP that lives under your mattress. And if you put your feet out like if you hang your feet out over your bed at night and fall asleep that way it peels the skin off your feet <laughs> and needless to say every time i think about that i'm like yoink with my leg right back up into the <laughs> into the blanket just to make sure <laughs> i think that's something every kid does though like you don't let your like extremities hang out of the bed because monster or something <laughs> yes um okay so that was a fun look into our psyche um the next question comes from basil and he asks what spooky episode would have freaked you out most when you were a kid which one gets to you now mm, i will pass on this one because i have not seen enough of yami shibaya to really say um mm -hmm. i just find a lot of them to be more entertaining but i was a very uh Mm, I guess I was a very spook spook sensitive child, so probably all of them would have freaked me out. Mm -hmm. And see, I was not a spook sensitive child. I read all the scary stories books. I watched horror movies. Um, I was a very straight. I, I pretend I played a graveyard as a child, which really bothered my mother. So like, uh, <laughs> yeah, one day she comes home and I'm in. The, we have one of those pebble like like. Uh, driveways like that and I just I like pushed aside a little thing and use little rocks to make a graveyard she's like what are you doing I'm like making a graveyard and she said at that moment she was very like worried for me so I don't think any of them really would have I mean I probably would have gotten like a jump scare out of one or two of them but I don't think any of them would have like psychologically scarred me as a child I think I think I was probably already psychologically messed up hence the graveyard play <laughs> See, that that um, would have been my thing too as a kid like my thing was i was like deathly afraid of jump scares like i hated those but in terms of being interested in spooky things like i was very interested in them i just would not 
seek out things that I expected to be scary, but I was still interested in spooky stuff. Can I share, uh, talking about things that scared us as children? This wasn't an urban legend, but we went to the video store Is this a, lot. a tangent town? No, this is very relevant. Okay. We went to the video store a lot when I was a child, and the video store had a display, like a big, you know, the big cardboard thing for um, Bride of Chucky, the one where it's black and white, and you see, like, the, the Jennifer Tilly doll's character's face and Chucky's face. And me not having known any of the child's play thing, the ripped-up Chucky face and the really weird Jennifer Tilly face, like, freaked me out as a child. But I was so also, like, I was scared of it but enraptured by it, so I would, like, stare at it and scare myself. Oh. <laughs> so if you want to talk about other weird masochist. things I did, <laughs> what'd you say? I said masochist. So yeah, that, that that was me as a child. So yeah, prob maybe maybe if you did something like that, but none of the Yami Shibai episodes I think would have bothered young Sally. <laughs> um, for me, I'd have to say probably the Wall Woman one as a child. Um, and that's season two, episode four. Because I didn't like body horror until much later on in my life. It just, ooh, no thanks. Um, and then the one that probably gets me now is the fish tank episode, which is season four, episode two, because I'm very scared of deep water. I don't, don't like water that I can't see the bottom of, because um, who knows what's in there. And uh, not for me. Probably plastic. <laughs> So the next viewer from him, um, he wants to know if the method in which Yami Shibai tells its stories work for you. I would say I enjoy them because I, I, I typically like short form things. I prefer like short stories and, and the like. Um, in terms of them being scary, no, I do not find them horrifying. I tend to do better with like in terms of scaring me, I tend to do more like slow burn horror or psychological horror where it like builds the sense of dread in terms of entertainment i really enjoyed the, the yami shibai episodes and i did not know there were as many i watched the first three seasons and just kind of you know didn't think about it and then came back to there being like four new ones that i haven't seen and so i'll probably end up watching all of them um because they're really just easy to digest and entertaining and they really just it's like a, I feel like they're like a good joke like a good joke mm -hmm. is set up and punchline and these are you know set up and scare that way like they mm -hmm. they don't really sit around and waste time with you know anything else they're they're so simple but they're so effective at the same time yep i i yeah. feel identically i wouldn't i couldn't have said it better myself Mm -hmm. Um, I, yeah, I like the shorts. Um, 
I think the art style works better for some episodes more than others, but I, I like it. It's so unique that it's just very entrancing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think we all kind of agree on that. So, mm-hmm. awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, Basil also wants to know what fascinates us all most about spooky stories. Personally, I like them because I think it's a very good look at someone's psyche um, especially like as a creator, um, you know, reading interviews with directors or writers or whatever. And they're like, I made my monster look this way because it represents me feeling X, Y, Z, or I made this plot as a metaphor for puberty. I don't know. There's a lot of horror movies that do deal with that, but, um, it's just, it gives me a feeling I can't explain. I don't know. I just want to be scared. Like, I, I just want to be scared. And, um, but it's also, like, catharticness. Um, so when I watched, like, The Haunting of Hill House, I just spent the most of that crying because I was like, oh, me too. So, I don't know. It's just very emotionally reactive for me, I guess. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of what I love about spooky stuff is really the aesthetic of it. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that just comes from, I don't, I, I couldn't tell you where that comes from in, in, in my, in my brain. Uh, I've just always really dug the spooky aesthetic, um, especially when it comes to like classic spooky aesthetics, like haunted houses, creepy castles, you know, lightning, storms, zombies, mummies, Frankenstein, vampires, all that crap. Um, so I, I dig that aspect of spooky stuff, but in terms of, you know, things that are scary, like, I agree with you very much of, like, I enjoy horror that is sort of metaphorical. It's like horror that is used to explore certain anxieties, either about a specific person or about society at large or some sort of, you know, ill that we are, you know, quote unquote, not allowed to talk about. Um, Mm -hmm. And even that plot point in of itself comes up in a lot of horror media. It's just like, the thing that is scary is the thing that the characters are not allowed to discuss. Um, And Mm -hmm. sort of the spook and the horror thing is like the manifestation of the fact that they cannot discuss this horrible thing or whatever. Um, So I I really like that about about horror. It's just lifting the veil and uncovering the nastiness that sometimes does exist underneath, you know, human behavior or human society or or what have you mm-hmm. sully uh i think a combination of both like austin i have a, a huge passion for the aesthetics of classic horror of the gothic of the the crumbling castle of the the mad scientist laboratory so that the sort of halloween horror you know the the generic mm-hmm. ideas of it but also um, the disney <laughs> the, the, yeah if we want to call it that but also, I I love things with with creatures and monsters and spirits and phantoms and things like that because I've always identified with with the other a lot in in movies. Like I very like there's only a handful of horror films I can think of where I really feel a deep sense of identification with the protagonist. It's things like uh, Susie and Suspiria or. Um, Jamie Lee Curtis in the original Halloween that but for the most part I think um for me horror has always been this sort of exploration of the other and our feelings of of otherness and 
being brought into a new world. I mean, I, I spoke about like Alice in Wonderland previously, but in many ways, horror is sort of like a dark take on that. It's you are leaving the normal and entering a, a version of reality in which the rules that you normally work by are not the same. And I find that very fascinating. Um, what happens when you enter a haunted house and the rules are different? Now the, the dead can, can contact and harass the living or things can move upon their own power. Um, and again, like I said, I was a very strange child and I really was into gothic things and dark things. So I think uh, my interest in horror is always kind of fed into that i think i'm less into it now i don't really keep up with a lot of modern horror films and i don't some of the things i used to like when i was younger have not held up but i still find myself sort of beguiled by the darker aspects of of cinema or storytelling i mean i still love uh jally films and um anything that has like a good a good old-fashioned gothic sensibility to it like the old hammer films or um or even a lot of like, you know, really trashy 80s horror films are just fun. Basil also asks, <laughs> do you think this treatment could be used to tell other kinds of stories? Yes. Um, like I said earlier, there's a sister show, Kagemani, which is about cryptids. Please, as the cryptid expert, go watch it. I love it. Um, but there's also another show that came to mind, actually, when I read this uh, question that um, I completely forgot about because I like binged it in one sitting and it kind of just like immediately flew out of my brain after. Um, but it is a horror short series called uh, Koabong and it's all rotoscoped and it's really cool. There's some great imagery from it. Um, and I normally don't really care for rotoscope things because it kind of makes me dizzy a little bit, but um. It's easy to handle in the shorts. It gives some really cool effects, I think, to the ghosts. And um, if I remember correctly, all the shorts, uh, the main central plot point has to do with technology. I mean, it has been. It has been done. I mean, there are several short form anime, but if you mean it more to be like an anthology, a short form anthology where there are no common characters shared between the episodes. I mean, I like Austin said, humor. I mean, like I said, Yami Shiba is basically a horror version of a joke. There's a setup and a punchline. Mm -hmm. um, I think it would do well for horror or um, fairy tales or anything that has a very, you know, simple narrative to it that doesn't require, like, deep characterization, you know, relies on a lot of stock characters or something I think could do well. Mm -hmm. um, I think you could tell maybe not just urban legends, but, like, you know... I don't know. I mean, just other sort of stories that are in the popular consciousness, I think, could be shared that way. Uh, I can't think of any right now off the top of my head. I feel like anything, I, like I said, that doesn't have like any sort of deep characterization or like complicated nuance of plot could probably be done in a similar format. I keep going to fairy tales and jokes, really. All right. Um, last question from Basil. Bless you, Basil. Um, in the end, would you rather just be watching episodes of Gegege no Kitaro? <laughs> That's a good show. I need to watch more of it. <laughs> we, I wanted to do Kitaro for our Halloween episode, but Austin was like, there's too much of it. I'm like, that's a very fair, that's a very fair point. Um, I don't even consider myself like a big fan of it, but I enjoy it immensely. And I do need to watch more of the new one. 
Um, I would say if you really like the sort of goofy Adams Family style creepiness to watch the 60s show too, because it kind of feels like a cartoon version of the Adams Family. Um, the new one feels more like a morality play about technology and how terrible, you know, everyone on the planet Earth is right now. <laughs> True. But yeah, go watch Kitaro um, and this. Watch both. Why Why pick yeah, one over the it, other? It's cute. I love the chaotic energy the little cat girl gives off. <laughs> it's sort of like He's a dark off. version of Moomins. <laughs> yes, yes, she's the little Mai. <laughs> Let's see, our next question comes from a user in our Discord channel with the handle Pokemans, so sorry I'm not using your real name, but that's what you got. Um, who asks, how do you guys feel about the depiction of urban legends and creepy things in anime today? Do you think anime, like for example Yokai Watch, are destroying the sinister slash creepy aesthetic of Yokai and urban legends? Um, eh, I mean, destroying is awfully harsh language, I think, there. I mean, it's just a different interpretation, and Yokai Watch just happens to be more jovial and not mm -hmm. so sinister. I mean, there's, there's um, nothing wrong with that. Mm -mm. And if you, like, really look into, I mean, I, you seem like you kind of know what you're talking about with the Yokai, but um, there are a lot of cute, silly, fluffy ones in the legends and stuff, so I don't think it's necessarily, like, ruining anything. Um, and it's kind of fun. It's like, I like seeing people's art depict, like, scary things as cute and sweet. Like, um, there's one artist who, I cannot remember their name, I'll try to find it, but they do, like, the sweet pastel art, but they'll draw yokais. So they've got this one piece of the ladies with the floating necks, and it's just all, like, cute, and I'm like, okay. Um, but... It's funny because in the newest season of Precure, the villains, the main villains, are based off of yokai. So there's like an Oni and uh, another one that I can't remember because I haven't gotten that far. But I mean, it's not it's not really a problem. I think it's fun if people kind of see this and they're like, oh, that's interesting, and then kind of go look into it. But I guess that's how you end up with those like, 20 things you didn't know were dark and disturbing in your childhood <laughs> cartoons. Watch Mojo.com. <laughs> Burger King for lettuce. Okay, sorry. Yeah, Sully, <laughs> how do you feel about the depiction of Oni in Ursa Yatsura? I mean, here's the thing. Um, how can I put this? Like, even, okay, let's, let's talk about our own culture for a minute. Dracula and Frankenstein have been used to sell cereal. Like, like, mm -hmm. horror is constantly <laughs> evolving. Like, I, I was watching, like I said, the original Nightmare on Elm Street, and, like, even if this is the more serious interpretation of Freddy before he became a cackling game show host like, <laughs> as a character, like, I, it's still hard to watch that movie and, like, probably feel the same level of of adrenaline or, or horror that people watching it for the first time in the 80s would have. Like... I mean, I, we went to Target, and, like, now you can buy a Saturday morning cartoon-style Freddy and Jason and It action figure. Um, that's just how it goes. Like, 
the things that used to scare us, the more familiar we become with them, the more we we don't feel that initial gut reaction that we did, if we ever did. I mean, you can't watch the original It and be scared. I mean, it's Tim Curry really hamming it up and doing this cat skills thing as hard as he can. Mm -hmm. um, but, and I feel the same for Yokai. Like, you know, they are terrifying in these stories. They are, they are horror characters, but I don't think having than being yokai watch is a bad thing because one they're they're more mythological figures and horror figures first and foremost so i think there's almost sort of a weird educational value to them in some mm -hmm. degree yeah. but also just because we do the same thing here and it's, it's something that every culture does like we constantly have to reinvent horror because horror is based on the things we do not understand or do not comprehend and the more we learn the more th those things are no longer scary. Mm -hmm. um, look at Frankenstein. Like the story itself is rather grotesque. The idea of creating life from nothing, from possibly the book is really. If you read the original book, it's really kind of open ended to how he actually makes it. But if we go with the film idea of like stitching a body together and making a completely new being from it, that's a very uncomfortable concept. But the more familiar we are with it, the less power it holds over our you know consciousness. So. I, I don't think that, you know, anime like Yokai Watch are like somehow ruining everything. It's just, it's a new way of looking at it. And, you know, one day, we're, I mean, look at Slenderman. Now he's goofy and cute and kind of funny. And one day, these characters that we were talking about will be too. And then we have to come up with something new to scare us. That's just how mm -hmm. humanity has been doing it for millennia. I think it just points out sort of the universal. Um a very thin line between comedy and horror and between creepy and cute it's like that mm -hmm. those lines are so so easy to cross and you you change one or two little things and it goes from one to the other i mean yeah. there are theories that the origin of laughter is it comes from a signal of relief mm -hmm. so it's very tied to horror in a way and yeah i mean i have no problem either with lum i mean i don't think lum gentrified Oni or anything <laughs> Oh my god. And I would rather, like, honestly, I'm so happy to live in a world where Ursa Yatsura exists, so I'll take it as I can get it. If that means that, like, somehow some Oni is in the hill, the mountains of Japan holding a picture of Lum saying, my culture is not a costume, I'm okay with that. <laughs> Thanks for your good question, Pokemons. Thank you. So our last question before we wrap up comes from also a third impact anime member and that's bill and hopefully we didn't drive you too crazy during this episode um he asks what do you think are the distinctive differences between american and japanese urban legends slash horror tales you guys um, are the smarty pants on this so i will defer to you <laughs> um i talk about this a lot in my movies panel um the thing to me that sticks out the most and you know, there are movies like this in Asian horror, um, but I think a lot of it relies on, like, spiritual horror. So, like, you're gonna get possessed, or, you know, this person was murdered and had such a strong energy that there's now a curse left behind, or it's just very otherworldly types of horror where I feel like American horror movies, um... Especially in the new wave of stuff coming out, like Hereditary and um, Us and things like that. 
Um, art is very violence-based. It's like, oh no, this person escaped the mental ward and they're gonna kill you. Uh-oh. Um, and you just don't see a lot of that in Japanese horror. Um, and I think that's kind of the distinctual difference to me personally. I, I kind of agree. I mean, I think that we're not totally bereft of spiritual horror, but I think ours tends to be either more like based more in true crime, even like even like something like Texas Chainsaw Massacre is like over the top and ridiculous it is, is still about a serial killer as opposed to like a ghost. Um, yeah. Or they, it kind of goes into like sci-fi horror. Like I think Get Out is kind of in more of a sci-fi horror or speculative fiction horror that is like a ghost story or in any way like a you know there's nothing supernatural in the way of like a spirit realm as opposed to like a speculative if we could do this sort of thing and i think the japanese horror is more inclined towards that not that we don't i mean the, the conjuring films have kind of been like the defining one of the defining like horror franchises of the 2010s and they're very much about like spiritual horror i think of things like the nun which is real we're, we're suddenly back in the nun exploitation 70s it's weird um, the uh the bloom house lore the bloom house cinematic universe yeah. <laughs> you have that like what's the one about like the the boogeyman that like kills families in their home movies or something sinister yeah. oh man that those movies are actually really good yeah i, I saw the first one and i kind of liked it i remember that even though he, he looks kind of stupid looking like why is he wearing a yeah you know? and they ruined the ending with a jump scare like if they had just cut that that movie would have been yeah. really great <laughs> and the name bagul is funny like i know it's supposed to sound like Bagool. some sort of like Ancient Bagool, like Arabic an ancient demon name, like Pazuzu. Like Rachel Ghoul, but it sounds more like uh, Bagul. <laughs> like, 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 what a, like what a dirty, like, like incel ghost would say if he meets a hot lady. Goes, oh, I tip my fedora to the zombie lady at Walmart. Bagul. <laughs> yeah, I think that, like, now we're kind of seeing a slow resurgence of spiritual horror, but I think it's always been more prevalent in Japan. Um, yeah. And I think that we're just. We're more interested in, like, killers. I don't know why. Someone wrote, I have this book of essays on horror film I've been reading. I bought it for four bucks at the used bookstore. Um, and it theorized <laughs> that serial killers are the American folk monster in a way that, like, you know, like, Japan has the, the long-haired, black-haired woman in white, or how in Europe there's the traditional, like, haunted house because of the long these countries have long histories but since we're a newer country our folk monster is built upon the ideas of like the wild west and rugged individualism like this sort of twisted version of it that is the serial killer that exists in real life the the leather faces and the freddy kruegers and the jasons are sort of a fantastical reimagination of it that turns into a folk monster i would like to see now, if anybody knows of any, please, by all means, let me know, because I'm kind of talking out of my butt here. But I would love to see um, more, like, Japanese or just Asian cinema takes on, like, cosmic horror. Um, like, there's some out there for sure. Um, like, I know the Fatal Frame movie, which has nothing to do with Fatal Frame, uses a lot of, like, surreal, um, like, time type of stuff to be scary. Um... But I just, I just never have seen anything that's just, like, cosmic, like, here's an elder god, and if you look at him, 
They'll make you go crazy. <laughs> There's a film I was going to feature in my, my Japanese film panel, but unfortunately, I lost the title of it um, when my laptop oh. crashed. I could probably search it, like, you know, do a general search enough to find it, but it was a film about an alien invasion, like this meteorite shower happens, and these aliens... Uh, sort of do a pod people thing with these people's body, but they have to kind of, like, remember their... So there's, like, these two consciousness struggling in the same body, and that Ooh. kind of makes me think of what you were talking about. I think it was, like, uh, This Is Us, or When We Arrive, or something. There's some we or us, or something. Okay. Um, yeah, find that. That sounds really yeah, fascinating. Yeah, I'll find, try to find that. That's the closest thing I can think of to what you're talking about. Um, mm -hmm. Which, the idea of cosmic horror is is a rather new genre literarily like literally speaking um mm -hmm. so i wonder like i'm sure there has to be like people have experienced i wonder if ron poe's ever written anything like that mm -hmm. that is something i'll definitely have to figure out but all right so those are some really great questions um definitely got us thinking about stuff so thank you all for sending those in much appreciated um do we have any final thoughts on what we have shared today <laughs> well as uh, far as i'm concerned i think that was a pretty good episode and uh, all of you folks listening at home i hope you had or will have a very very happy halloween uh i i can't think of anything other than you know watch gigage no kitaro and yamishiba and ursa yatsura for three very different takes on traditional <laughs> japanese folklore and the third one they're aliens um. <laughs> um completely unrelated but my final thought is please go watch one cut of the dead because it's finally on shutter and i can't recommend that movie enough gosh i really need to <laughs> um all right so just as a reminder we are going to be at anime week in atlanta doing fun panels um we hope to see you guys there um, you can find a list of everything we're doing over on our website, thirdimpactanime.com. You can also find our Patreon information over there as well and all the other fun stuff that we do. Sully, where can people find you online? Find me on Twitter, at Kalvakun. That is C-A-L-V-A underscore K-U-N. And on Twitter, at Kalvakun. That is C-A-L-V-A-K-U-N without the underscore. I mean, Instagram without the underscore. And I mostly just post anime figures, so if you're into that, yeah. Go away. Cool. Austin? <laughs> Where can they find you online? You can find me over on Twitter at twitter.com slash bebopshock, and that's bebop as in cowboy bebop, and shock as in you will be shocked this Halloween by how spooky you will be. I don't know, something like that. Anyway, if you uh, <laughs> want to talk to all of us sort of more collectively in a chat room type format, of course, pop over to our website and join our Discord community. Um over on our website, thirdimpactanime.com, if you go there, like I said in the beginning of the episode, and find the link that says community up on the top bar, you can join our Discord server there and come have a lot of anime, video game, convention, fun discussions with all of the members of Third Impact Anime. We would love to have you. I may or may not have... was going to say that. Thank you. Well, uh, I, anyway. my apologies. <laughs> Um, you can find me over on Twitter at WorstWaifu, and I'm also hanging out in the Discord. 
<laughs> my brain just does not want to work today. Oh my god. Um, but you can find me over in the Discord. I don't post a whole lot because I have mostly been working and trying to prep for the convention. But hey, I'm there. That's all that matters. So that's all we have for you guys tonight. Go be spooky. Do something fun. Happy Halloween!